This morning we're reading from Luke 9, 57 through 10, 3. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Whoops. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. This is God's word for us this morning. Uh, in November of 2018, uh, there's a 26-year-old American by the name of John Chow. Uh, and he was killed while trying to make contact with the Sentinelese people. Uh, one of the last known uncontacted people groups in the world. Uh, they reside on this tiny protected island in the Indian Ocean. Uh, and he had studied for several years. He had studied uh, how, survival skills, how to survive in the wilderness on his own. He had studied cultural anthropology. He had studied linguistics. And he had studied theology. And his hope, his goal was that as he would approach these people on this uncontacted island, that he would be able to build a relationship with them, understand their language, and ultimately to be able to share the gospel of Jesus with these people. Now, as things happen in our world like that, it quickly became viral, uh, his death and the news of that. And as you can imagine, it quickly became a very divisive news story. It became a bit of a litmus test for how you view this idea of sharing your faith or sharing your beliefs with people. Uh, a whole bunch of Christians looked at his story and immediately called him a martyr for the faith, not unlike Nate Saint and Jim Elliott from a previous generation. Uh, in fact, one of his friends said this, his motivation was love for the Sentinelese people. If you believe in heaven and hell, then what he did was the most loving thing that anyone can do. But a whole host of other people looked at that story and they saw arrogance, they saw cultural superiority, and they saw ignorance. In fact, one article said this, such quests represent the height of hubris and arrogance. Unreached peoples generally don't want to be reached, even if your belief determines that they're going to hell unless you quote-unquote save them. Even John Chow's own father disavowed his actions and blamed his death on what he called, quote, extreme evangelical theology. Welcome to talking about sharing your faith in the 21st century. His story really highlighted the tensions that all of us feel in our world when it comes to talking about anything of weight or significance, particularly as it re relates to our beliefs or our ideas. Uh, it is very difficult to talk about the things that matter most to us 
in a world that is full of competing ideas and ideologies. And it's hard to talk about particularly our beliefs or our faith uh, because of a whole host of reasons. Right? There's this kind of perception that if I share what I believe with you, that it's somehow I think my ideas are superior to yours, and so I'm therefore looking down on you. There's the complex and complicated history of the entanglement of colonialism and evangelism and how those things often went hand in hand in history, where I bring both the good news of Jesus but also my cultural assumptions that I need you to become like me. And then there's just the simple fact that everyone is trying to sell you something. Uh, when I moved into uh, the neighborhood here, uh, I, as I had walked the streets, I realized that a lot of houses had like no soliciting signs on them. I was like, what's the deal? Like, I, I didn't think anything. And then I lived here for like three months and I realized everyone is trying to sell me something. I'll get a knock on the door and it's someone who wants to look at my utility bill or I'll get a knock on the, bo- on the door and it's someone who wants me to sign up for whatever service. And so before long, I started wondering, do I need a no soliciting sign? Because everyone is trying to sell me something. Even online, influencers are trying to sell me something. Marketers are trying to sell me something. And so how do I go about talking about what matters most to me when everyone seems like they want me to buy in to what they're selling? And so most of us, or a lot of us, when it comes to talking about sharing our faith or talking about our beliefs, most of us balk at that idea or we get a little bit awkward or we just kind of keep it to ourselves. Uh, In fact, three-fifths of Christian millennials, so if you're like my generation or a little bit younger or a little bit older, uh, three-fifths of millennials believe that people are more likely to take offense if you share your faith today than they were a generation ago. Uh, almost half of Christian millennials believe that it is, it is wrong to share your belief with someone in hopes that they might change their ideas. As Christian millennials, almost half. Uh, and I think part of the reason why is because the younger you get, the more likely it is that you have relationships with people who are different than you. Uh, one study found that Christian millennials have four close friends or family members who believe something other than what they believe. If you are of the boomer generation, you have one friend who believes something different than you. The younger you go, the more diverse and pluralistic our world gets. And so a little bit more complicated it gets to talk about this. And we have this sense that people would be upset or mad or angry if I initiated conversation. Yet survey after survey says that most people prefer to talk about these things in casual friendship relationships, over coffee or around the table. In fact, one study found that 82% of unchurched people would be open to an invitation to church if someone invited them. And yet only 2% of Christians invite anyone to church in a given year. That's a gap that we need to think about. Because we get really weird when we start talking about sharing our faith. This big, scary E word, evangelism, might stoke all kinds of fear. You might feel your body tense up. You're like, I don't know that I want to talk about this. Uh, I found one pastor, he put it this way, evangelism is that which we do not like having done to us which we feel obligated to do to others. It's what we would not want anyone to do to us, but we feel like we have to do to other people. Now, here's the thing. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about this in this series we're calling House to House. This is kind of part two of uh, Neighborhood Church. We talked about last, the past couple of weeks how as a church, our vision, what God is calling us to be is a neighborhood church, a church made up of neighbors who are loving our neighbors and our neighborhood. Uh, In the next three weeks, we're going to talk about then how it is that Jesus calls us to share hope 
to share who he is with the people closest to us, our friends or our family members, our coworkers or our neighbors. And this is the important thing to understand. Sharing the gospel is a priority to people who follow Jesus because it is a priority to Jesus. Sharing the gospel is a priority to people who follow Jesus because it is a priority to Jesus. That seems pretty self-explanatory, but I think sometimes we we make this super complicated. But the reality is, if you were to, to follow Jesus when he was here, Jesus was an itinerant preacher or prophet. That meant he traveled. Like, if, if, you said, if he said, follow me, and you're like, okay, Jesus would be like, hey, here's where we're going to go today, and I'm going to go teach, and it's going to be in public. People are going to hear about it. They're going to ask questions about it, and you're going to be with me, and I'm going to eventually ask you to do the same thing as well. And so to follow Jesus was to join him in his ministry and his mission of proclaiming the gospel or of sharing what he called the kingdom of God. And so if we're going to be people who follow the way of Jesus— It's going to lead to us sharing about Jesus. Now, the important thing to get, though, I think there's a, a, what we're going to talk about over the next couple weeks is what we're going to call sharing the gospel. Because I think sometimes we use some language like proselytizing or evangelizing, and, and it kind of feels like we're doing something to people. Like, I need to go evangelize people. But what we're actually called to do is to share the gospel, to share something that has happened to us, and to share that with other people to announce what God has done in our lives and what he is doing in our world and to share that with other people and hope that they might hear and understand that as well. And so we don't go do something to people. Rather, we share what has happened. We share the news. In fact, the the language that is used for preaching the gospel or sharing the gospel in the New Testament was the same language that was used for announcements in that world. Like, we have breaking news in our world. We have notifications on our phone in their day to to proclaim something or to preach something was breaking news, was a notification, something has happened. And so to follow Jesus leads to us sharing what we have received ourselves. And this brings us to Luke chapter 9. We're straddling chapters because at the beginning of Luke 9, Jesus sends people out. And at the beginning of Luke 10, he sends people out. And there are some important things that happen along the way. In fact, we encounter three small little stories of people who come to Jesus, who want to follow him, but there's something that they have to work through. I think there's some barriers that we have to work through or some fears that we have to work through in order to follow Jesus and share the gospel with people. The first thing that we have to work through is our comfort. Look at verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Man, talk about an ideal disciple. He's like, Jesus, where are you going? I'm going with you. But look at what Jesus says. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is saying the trajectory of his life is towards discomfort. That he didn't have a home. He didn't make himself comfortable in this world. And the reality is, if we are going to be people who share the gospel, because Jesus invites us to share the gospel, it's going to get a little uncomfortable. Like, it challenges our default operating system where we value comfort, control, and convenience. Most of my life is about maximizing comfort, maintaining control, and choosing what is most convenient for me. 
Right? That is what the whole economy is built around. That is what is sold to me on Instagram, is I want to be comfortable, I want to be in control, and I want things to be convenient. But the moment that I begin to follow Jesus is the moment that things become a little bit less comfortable, a little bit less predictable. And particularly the moment that I begin sharing the gospel with people, sharing the news about who Jesus is with people, as I now step out of my comfort zone and into what I need to do to trust him, to ask him to do something. Right? The reality is, I was thinking back this past week in my life, I've gone through like five or six different evangelism-type trainings in my life. Uh, I did uh, a trip where we did door-to-door evangelism in Salt Lake City, Utah, taking the door-to-door thing to the Mormons, which is really interesting. Uh, I've done mall evangelism, where you go and you try to strike up a random, awkward conversation with someone, and you kind of pretend to be interested in them, but you're really just trying to get them over to talk about what you want to talk about. I've done campus evangelism, where we go to campus and we set up a table and we're trying to have conversations about worldview and about, about what people believe in hopes of kind of striking up some conversation and getting to some deeper questions. I've done relational evangelism, where you try to relate to people for a long period of time to understand them, to then share the gospel with them. And, and all of those have positives and negatives, but the reality is none of them were comfortable. Like, I didn't like any of them. And I think part of what we have to get over is following Jesus doesn't mean I always do things that I like or that are comfortable or that are kind of in the circle of what I want to do. But he calls us instead to follow him and to cross the threshold of my comfort zone. And here's the thing. You know where the Holy Spirit is? He's usually right on the outside of your comfort zone. Like God is usually right on the outside of your comfort zone. If you would just take a step, man, God's going to do something. But we have to get over comfort, control, and convenience. And that's what Jesus invites us into first. The second fear that we have to get over is in verse 59. He says, to another, he said, follow me. So here Jesus is asking this person to come follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The second barrier that we have to work through is the barrier of the cultural taboo around this. Jesus is intentionally shocking here. In that world, the most important thing that you could do was to take care of a loved one who had just passed. It was more important than observing the Sabbath, which they had a ton of rules and regulations for how you could get in trouble for not observing the Sabbath. It was more important than going to the synagogue. It was more important than reading the scriptures. If someone had passed in your home, the most important thing that you could do is to tend to their body. And so Jesus is intentionally shocking here for them, and it's intentionally shocking for us, right? I mean, in your imagination of who Jesus is, you probably don't think him saying, hey, don't go to your father's funeral. No, but instead, he's trying to wake us up to this reality that the most important thing in his mission and his ministry is to proclaim the kingdom of God. If you read through the story of Jesus you will find that sharing the gospel was not popular. If you read through the story of the early church, you will find that sharing the gospel was not very popular. If you read through the story of the history of the church, sharing the actual gospel, not the watered-down prosperity gospel, the actual gospel is not very popular. There has yet been a time in this world where sharing the gospel has been applauded by the culture or been applauded by the powers that be. 
if you look through Jesus' story, when he proclaimed the gospel, powerful people got upset. And that's what happens when we follow Jesus in this, is sharing the gospel is going to rub some people the wrong way. But he says this is the most important thing. And if we actually understand the gospel, we will understand why he says what he says. Because what is the gospel anyways? The gospel is the announcement that God has overcome sin and death. That God has overcome the grave. That Jesus has overcome the greatest enemy. And so when he says, let the dead bury their own dead, he's not being insensitive. He's just lining up with reality. Reality is what God is doing is to overcome death. And so this funeral, yes, it is real, but it is also temporary. Because what he's about to do is to overcome that thing altogether. And so proclaiming the kingdom of God is what everyone needs to hear. It's the most important thing. Because then what happens resurrection, life, restoration. So proclaim the kingdom of God. And so we have to work through the fact that people are not always going to accept it. I think that's the third thing that's happening, the third barrier in verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The third thing that you and I have to work through is our people-pleasing we tend to be people pleasers. At least I do. I'm sure you don't. I, I tend to be a people pleaser. I value people's opinions and particularly the opinions of those in my home. My parents or my siblings or my spouse or my kids. I tend to be kind of oriented around how can I make people happy? How can I make people applaud me? How can I make sure I don't rock the boat in my home and disrupt kind of the status quo of what we talk about and what we don't talk about? But Jesus is saying, look, the most important thing is to join him in his mission to proclaim the kingdom of God. And so what has to happen as we begin to understand him is we, we have to begin to say, am I going to please people or am I going to please Jesus? Am I going to follow what he says or am I going to just go along with what everyone else tells me that I should do? He says, keep your vision on the kingdom of God. Keep your, your trajectory on what he wants to do. And don't allow the opinions of people to get in the way of that. Don't be a people pleaser. Instead, share the gospel. Now, how do we begin with this, right? If we actually can begin to work through that and say, okay, I'm going to take a step out of my comfort zone. I'm going I'm to be willing to share something even if it gets a little uncomfortable, whether in my home or with the people around me. Where do we actually begin? Look at chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. So, so from that metric, there's only 70 people or 72 people who have now come around Jesus. And he's, he's like a couple of years into this thing of proclaiming the gospel. But he has 70 who said, yes, I can do this. Now, let's just look at a couple of things here. Okay, so first, who is it that shares the gospel? First, it tells us that he appointed 72 others. Now, this number is really important because this number appears at a couple of key moments in the story of the Bible. The first place that this appears is in Genesis chapter 11. And, and unless you're a Bible nerd, you might not know what Genesis chapter 11 is. That's why I'm here. I'm the resident Bible nerd. Because this is important to understand because something is happening here. And Luke, is a, he's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. In Genesis chapter 11, comes right on the heels of the Tower of Babel. 
And the Tower of Babel is that story you might remember from Sunday school, right, where everyone was like, we're going to build a big tower to heaven. And God was like, I don't like that. I'm going to strike you. You're all going to speak different languages. And then everyone sort of divided up into different people groups. But you know how many people groups they divided up into? 72. And so what Luke is saying, he, he's hoping that you're a Bible nerd, or you at least have a friend who's a Bible nerd, who could say, you know what happened at the beginning? What happened in the beginning is we all divided up into different people groups. And in those different people groups, we developed our own cultures, our own languages, our own preferences, how we do things. But what Jesus is beginning here is the recreation of humanity. And he is inviting every person, every people group, every tribe, and every tongue to join him in his mission. And so he picks 72 people to be a part of this. And what he is signaling to you and me is sharing the gospel is not just for one people group. And it's not just about one people group imposing their way on other people. Instead, it is him inviting everyone from every people group to follow him and then to proclaim the gospel to their peoples, to go to their culture and their context and to say, this is what is happening. The kingdom of God is coming to you in the eastern part of the world and to you in the western part of the world. It's going to all people and it's being sent from all people who know who Jesus is. This is not cultural hegemony or cultural superiority. This is Jesus beginning the thing that is bigger than all of our borders, that is bigger than all of our political divisions, that's bigger than all of our cultures and all of our languages and all of our preferences. He is creating a new humanity and saying, come proclaim the gospel with me. And so every people group is represented in this number. But also, here's the other thing. None of them are named if you were to go to the beginning of Luke chapter 9, he sends 12. And those are the 12 that we know. Peter, James, John, Thaddeus. That's the end of what I can remember from their names, right? But those are the 12 guys that we know. They're the ones who are saints. They're the ones who wrote some things in the Bible. These folks, we don't have their names. You see, sharing the gospel is not for the superstars. It's not for the people who have the theology degree or who have the title or the profession of teaching or preaching the gospel. Sharing the gospel is for all of us who follow Jesus. If you're following him, Jesus says, go share the gospel. Go tell people about the kingdom of God. It's for every single one of us. It doesn't matter if your profession is a pastor or a plumber or a carpenter or a banker. Your task in the mission of Jesus is to share the gospel. It's not just for those who have the title of whatever. It's for each and every one of us. And you may not get the name, right? Your name may not be on the board. No one might see what you're doing, but you're invited to do that, to share the gospel with people. Now, how are they sent? Look what he says. He says two by two. They're sent two by two. Most of us tend to think of evangelism as an individual thing, right? Where I'm going to go talk to my one friend about, because I don't want it to get awkward. Right? I don't want to create a scene. Right? I don't want to, so I go talk to one person. And I do it kind of apart from community. I go talk to them and we have a long conversation and hopefully they come to know who Jesus is. Or we go door to door to like random strangers that we don't know and hope that they maybe hear and understand. But Jesus is sending a community. We are sent together to share the gospel. I think part of how we think about sharing the gospel is oftentimes we think, okay, it's an individual thing, so I have to talk to one person and then hopefully maybe after they come to know who Jesus is, then they'll come to the church. But the reality is the church, our life together, 
is a picture of the gospel that we proclaim. How we live our life together, how we interact with one another, how we welcome people in is a picture of the gospel that we are proclaiming. And so we are called to be sent one by one, two by two, together in community to bring people in to the kingdom of God. And so we are sent not individually, but together. And notice lastly why they're sent. Why are they sent? He says they're sent into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He sends them ahead. And the purpose of them being sent is to prepare the way. Notice it's not to convince people or to sell people or to get them to buy on to some sort of multi-level marketing scheme. That's not why he sends them. He sends them to prepare the way. You see, when we share the gospel with people, it is not to convince them of anything. It's not to co- coerce them to change their beliefs or to, to somehow become different than what they are. We share the gospel, and our sharing the gospel is preparing the way for Jesus to save people, for the Holy Spirit to save people. And so we share the gospel, we announce the news of what God has done in Jesus, and that person might respond or they might not respond, but their response is not up to us. It is Jesus who saves, it is the Holy Spirit who convicts and transforms people, and so we simply prepare the way. But here's what that means. If I'm not sharing the gospel, the way is not prepared. So if I'm not communicating with people, if I'm not announcing what God has done, then there's a reality that the way might not be prepared. The work that we do in sharing the gospel is the work of clearing the way. Clearing the way in people's minds and hearts and lives so that they might be able to see, hear, and respond to the good news of Jesus. What does clearing the way look like? Jesus used this example of plowing. Right? And I think about the parable that he taught about the, the word being planted. Right? There's, there's some rocks in people's lives that need to be moved. Right? There's some things that people have placed in people's lives, some hurt or some pain or some questions. Our job to prepare the way is to help them move that rock, and to help them move that barrier by answering questions or just being a caring, compassionate person. There might be some weeds in their life. Like Our job to prepare the way is to just help them clear the clutter of their life so that they can hear and understand who Jesus is. We share the gospel to prepare the way. But if we're not sharing the gospel, the way might not be prepared. And so this is why we share the gospel whether it works or not. This is not an input equals output scheme. This is we're sharing what has happened. We're asking Jesus to do what he wants to do. And so how do we actually begin to do that? Look at the two instructions that Jesus gives them. He says in verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The first place that we begin is with prayer. That we pray. And notice who's in charge of what happens. God is in charge of what happens. We're not in charge of what happens. They're not in charge of what happens. God is the Lord of the harvest, which means he's going to do what he wants to do. And so we simply trust him and we follow him and we proclaim. But we begin by praying. We don't jump into this with our strategy or with our sales tactic or like our three questions in order to get to the gotcha moment. We begin with prayer. But notice what we pray for. We're praying primarily that Jesus would send people. You know, oftentimes I think when I'm trying to like, I want, I want to see someone come to faith, I'm praying for them. 
I'm praying that God might open their heart or he might open their mind or he might open an opportunity in their life. But, but the reality is what we should be praying for is that God would prepare me, that he would send people. Right? And I think the reality is sometimes, sometimes we like praying the prayer, God, would you open their hearts? God, would you send someone to them? We like that prayer because it's distant and detached. And, and like something's happening over there. I'm just kind of over here praying for them. But look at the second thing that happens. As soon as Jesus says, pray, he then says, go. He says, go. We have to do both, right? We pray and ask God to prepare us, but also then he's going to send us. And that's why I think we prefer to pray the prayer of like, God, would you just like do something to them? Like today, would you open their hearts? Would you open their minds? Right? But sometimes God's saying, I- I'm going to do that, but what are you going to do? Right, like I, I, I'm, I'm working, but I'm also sending you. And like, and like, you had an opportunity last Tuesday to just like break out of your busyness and just talk to your neighbor, but you, you chose instead the way of comfort. And this is why this is really scary when we start doing this. But this is what Jesus calls us to: to be prayerful, and also to be ready and willing to go, to step into it, to move towards people. At the beginning of this year, we gave a challenge to our church. We wanted each one of you to just ask God, who's the one person, the one family, the one coworker, the one home that you want me to bless this year? And we gave out a card, and there's five, five kind of things that we want you to, to ask God. But it begins with prayer. To say, I'm going to be prayerfully present in this person's life. I'm just going to be around. I'm going to be open. I'm going to be asking God for an opportunity. Right? A couple of years ago, if you were here, we did a blessed challenge over the summer with the ping pong balls, if you remember it. Uh, different ping pong balls represented different kind of steps that we took in the mission of Jesus. Uh, the first uh, ping pong ball for, for be prayerfully present, we ran out of ping pong balls for that one because that one's the easy one. It's still important, but that's the easy one, right? The, the, the sharing a meal with people and, the, and, the, and the, the serving people, those ones we didn't run out of as quickly because that's where rubber meets the road for a lot of us. And so I want to encourage you as over the next couple of weeks as we talk through this, right? We, I want you to be prayerful. Ask God, God, would you move in their heart, but also like get me ready. Get me ready to go. Get me ready to love. Get me ready to ask questions. Get me ready to invite people in because as I ask you to go, as I ask you to move, you're also getting me ready. And so I want to invite you into uh, starting February 14th, we're going to initiate a 40-day prayer challenge. Uh, for that one person or that one family or that one home that you're praying for. Right? It's going to be 40 days over the season of Lent. It's going to begin on Ash Wednesday. It's going to end on Easter Sunday. And 40 days, we're going to just send you a text like, hey, here's how you can pray for someone today. Here's how you can pray for you today as you follow Jesus, as we seek to share the gospel with people. And so we're going to put this up on the screen again later on, but you can text into that. It will send you a text every morning at 8 a.m. If you're not a morning person, I'm sorry, but that just gets my morning started. 8 a.m., we're going to send you a text to say, hey, here's something to pray for this morning. Here's something to ask God for this morning as we seek to follow him to share the gospel with people in our circles. Because what will happen as we begin to do that, as we step out of our comfort zone, is we're now in the place of trust. We're now in the place where I need God to work. I need him to open doors. And that is exactly where Jesus wants us to be is where we are trusting him and we are following him as his students, as he proclaimed the gospel, so we proclaim the gospel as well. Let me pray for us this morning.
God, as we think about this good news, the reality is we are here because you proclaim good news to someone, and that person proclaimed good news to someone, and then someone proclaimed good news to us. So God, for the one who's here this morning who's struggling, who's hurting, who just feels like no one sees me, no one knows me, no one cares about me, God, would they hear the good news of the gospel is that you have come to them in Jesus. God, would you prepare us, prepare our hearts and our minds, and prepare our feet to go in whatever way you call us to this afternoon or this week, so that we would be people who are faithfully following you, proclaiming the gospel wherever you send us. Thank you that you have proclaimed that gospel to us, and we in turn proclaim the gospel to others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.